Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Jeff Buck. Hi, I'm Pastor Jeff Buck here. Tuesday night Bible study at Calvary Monterey. So glad you've joined us. I'm sorry that Pastor Nate is not here as announced. It just worked out better for me to cover this Tuesday night Bible study. He'll be here next Tuesday doing Genesis 16, which I know you're looking forward to, and will also be, of course, in the pulpit on Sunday. So what I want to do is uh, have some fun tonight and bring a message of encouragement to you in the middle of this pandemic and all the things we're going through. I read the Bible, as most of you do, uh, for stability, for bringing my heart into alignment with God, really, is kind of what happens when I read the Word. And I find myself just captured by Psalm 27. I'll ask you to turn there as we go through these beautiful 14 verses, and I think we'll find there a beautiful example of a man who knew war, new battle, new opposition, new all kinds of difficulties. And in this triumphant psalm, he gives us some of the keys to living that kind of triumphant life. So if you'll go with me to Psalm 27, look at the first three verses with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, that's so vivid, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, in this I will be confident. You notice here the numerous mentions of fear and and its opposite, which is confidence. And it's so easy to give way to fear in the midst of the situation that we're in. Perhaps you're thinking about financial provision and maybe you're worrying about health, the future plans that are now all up in the air. I have some of those. But I wanna focus on this first verse where it says, whom shall I fear, of whom shall I be afraid? And there is a truth here that is, I've been born out in my life, I'm gonna try to share with you. Notice he says, the Lord is, the Lord is. Now this is the preamble of a man who is speaking from experience, not theory. This is a man who is gonna talk about three different things that the Lord is to him. And as the Lord is these same things to you, you will find fear takes a back seat. Personally, I find that fear tends to ride in the front seat if it's allowed, but if it's pushed to the back seat, it can come back <laughs> at whatever time. That's why you gotta know these three things so that fear does not grab the steering wheel of your life because it will if it's allowed. The Lord is number one, my light. Light in scripture means guidance, perspective, comfort, direction. It's a, uh, it's a picture that is shown throughout scripture that uh, light is, has come into the world, John 1, 5. Light is shown in the world through the Son of God. 
and the darkness did not overpower it. Jesus, put another way, has brought light into this world, perspective, guidance, deliverance. And for you, you've got to be able to say this first thing with David. The Lord is not just light, but the Lord is my light. The Lord is my comfort, my direction. I think probably the lowest point that I can think in my life when I was in the deepest darkness was uh, years ago here at Chomp in Monterey when uh, my mother uh, was dying. We were a, a week with her in ICU and it was just a terrible experience. Uh, my brother and sister were here, but on a particular morning, I don't remember the date, but I was sitting with my mom in that room at Chomp. I still walk by that room when I do hospital visits and I think about it as I walk by. And what that was like on that, that foggy, dark morning when after days and days, actually a nine week battle total, uh, my mom is nearing death. And I, which is kind of unlike me, I tend to be a very, uh, strong and stoic kind of person. I, I can not uh, give way to emotions if I don't choose to do so. I can cry when I need to, but man, that day, it was the darkest day of my life. And I picked up the phone and I called this church, Calvary Monterey. I had visited here a few times and I knew some of the people and I called and I said, I'm out here at Chomp and I need someone to come. Could you send anybody out uh, to sit with me uh, in this uh, difficult day. And I will always remember in that day, 2007, that Pastor Roger Scalise, who was the pastor before Nate and uh, before Nate's dad, and, uh, and then Steve Brazelton. And those two men walked into that room, brought the light of Christ. When my uh, siblings arrived, took me out by the koi pond at Chomp, if you've ever been there. And the light shone for me that day. They laughed with me, cried with me. And then when we went back to the, um, to the room where my mom was, she died within the hour. But that day I learned, and I still know it today, the Lord is my light. In whatever dark situation I've come into, and I've certainly known them both in my life and with people I've pastored, I can say, the Lord is my light. And then it says, secondly, the Lord is my, not everyone else's, but the Lord is my salvation. Salvation in the Psalms and in the Old Testament tends to mean uh, not so much the salvation of the soul in the New Testament, but it means intervention, rescue, deliverance. The Lord comes to my rescue. And, you know, as a young pastor, you know, I got saved at 16. I entered the ministry at 18. And I had no idea in this university campus what to do with this group of hungry, young Jesus freaks, as they were called. I didn't know how to deal with them. And the problem we had was the university didn't really like us using the buildings on campus. They would make us go get a user permit every single day we wanted to meet. But uh, I just prayed, Lord, I don't have any idea how, how to find a, 
a solid place for these young people to meet so I can mentor and disciple them with the other leaders. And you know, a couple of guys saw this sorority house right across from the University Union. It was falling apart, it had been vacant for years, and they, they, they climbed in and looked around and there was possums living in the oven, there was a tree growing up through the porch, and this was the most unlikely place. But these guys found out uh, who was uh, in legal ownership of the property and they found the attorney for that person. And these guys, God answering prayer, walked downtown to this little city town, downtown, and they asked this attorney, hey, could we meet with a bunch of young people to study the Bible in this house? Well, we had no treasury, no funds, no money. Uh, the attorney probably didn't know that, but he said, all right, he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you six months free rent. You move in, you clean the place up, and uh, six months for free. And I was going to bring a picture of that house. I actually had one on my Facebook. I couldn't make it work to bring it. But I could show you this four-story sorority house that for years was a gathering place and a teaching place. And the Lord was my salvation. I had no idea how to do that. But there we were. And uh, then years later, as the um, fellowship began to morph toward a local church, I thought, well, we need a, a church that is going to have Sunday school rooms and room for a worship team and so on and so forth. And I had no idea what to do. And a long story made short, uh, I couldn't find a place to plant this church. And uh, the banks, all three of them said no to us. And so I had about $15,000. And you know, we bought three acres of ground, dug a big hole, made a partial basement, and off we are going to, to, to see how the Lord is going to be our salvation because there's no way I had the money to finish it. And that winter, I'm sitting there, and some of you heard me tell this story, and I'm looking down in this 50 by 80 hole and thinking, what have I done? I am the only pastor with a swimming pool for a church. But I prayed and I prayed and the Lord was my salvation. One day, actually when I was in prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart three words and it was call and this particular person whose name I'd seen on the action realty sign in our town. I thought, call this guy. And I thought, well, that just makes no sense. But I had calculated that if we had $30,000 that we could at least frame up and have a, a, have a rough sanctuary there, not a lot of carpet or amenities or anything, but we could have ourselves that church. And so I dutifully, I was too young and crazy to know that I shouldn't probably have done that. I called that office, asked for that man. He answered and I said, sir, I'm the pastor of this church and uh, we're building a building and I would like to see if you could help me because I, I just feel I should call you uh, to find someone who could invest $30,000 in this group of young people who want a church. And so most interesting thing happened. This man stopped and he sat back in his chair, I could tell, and he said, well, now that's very interesting because right across the desk from me right now is a gentleman farmer. His name was Bill Bodenhammer. 
And he, he has just come into my office and he has just asked where he could invest $30,000 in some real estate venture. Would you care to speak with him? And I could not believe it. And I went into town and sat down and we had ourselves alone when everyone else had refused us. But my point is I can truly say in terms of intervention, rescue, salvation, the Lord is not only my light, but he is my salvation. But it gets better. The Lord is light and salvation. And then he says, all is still in this first verse. The Lord is the stronghold of my life or the refuge or the strength or the protection of my life. And so he says, of whom shall I be afraid? You must be convinced that the Lord is your stronghold and be able to say, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Now, I'm not a person that tends to fear very much. Um, I come from a background of fear and anxiety and so on, but in large part that passed out of my life years ago as I learned that if I was in danger, there was always a place in God that I could hide. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. But at one point when I was pastoring a fairly large uh, inner city church in Fort Lauderdale, uh, I had a, a stalker. I had a young woman who began to attend the church. She was a small kind of mousy looking person, but she began hanging around the church. She began uh, writing me uh, messages on yellow legal pads. And I would find these things in a, my mailbox or stuck under a door. And these things grew more and more bizarre and weird to the point where one day she left me a 50 page front and back letter with all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was growing more and more, um, you know, we're supposed to be together and you need to understand this and your wife needs to be careful. And it, it got to the point where it was actually kind of uh, dangerous. An attorney friend took me to a judge in downtown Broward County and he played some of these messages that she had left me and showed the letters and he said, no, I can't do anything. And uh, the attorney said, what? You can't pr protect this man? Uh, not until she hurts him, <laughs> not until she does something. And I'm like, what? And um, it got crazy. And these letters continue. My elders said, you stay away from her, don't say anything. But you know, one day I got this letter and then I also got a phone call, which I will not repeat. It was not, not proper to, to say that. And I thought, this is gone far enough. And this clear impression formed inside my heart. Call her mother now. And I thought, okay, I know her mother. I, I knew this, this, this young woman, but she was, uh, she spooked all of us out. And when I called the mother, the mother started yelling her name. Are you harassing that man? Are you tormenting that man? Are you talking to that pastor? Are you going over to that church? And you know what? She said, I'll take care of it. Click. And that was the end. Legal system wouldn't do it. <laughs> My lawyer couldn't do it. But the Lord 
is the stronghold of my life. And people were scaring me because I've never seen this movie, but they talked about this movie, Fatal Attraction, where some guy is stalked by a lady and, and everybody was spooked. But you know what? I can truly say the Lord is my light, my salvation. He is my stronghold. And very seldom now do I have fear. Very seldom now am I afraid. Then he goes on to say, now when evildoers assail me, and notice he says, when they assail me. So this doesn't mean that we're not going to have enemies or difficulties or problems. To eat up my flesh, people that would just love to ruin me, love to hurt me, love to take advantage of me, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. I wonder how many battles David had to fight before he was able to confidently say, the Lord will protect me. The Lord will give me victory. The Lord will take care of my enemies. He says in verse 3, though an army encamp against me. Imagine a huge field or a plain with a huge army whose one purpose is to attack you. But he's learned because he says in verse 3, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. I will be confident. David was a, a warrior who loved to sing praises to God. I mean, he was a, a warring minstrel. It was a, an amazing combination of gifts. But he knew the secret of warring with God. My warfare hasn't ever been in the military. Uh, it's not been in uh, conflict with robbers or whatever. But I have seen so many conflicts in the church. I've seen so many conflicts in life. Uh, I have was, I've been closely associated with two particular churches. They blew up and they are no more. I have seen so many divorces. I have seen so many pastoral affairs. There have been so many uh, bandwagons, I would call them, that uh, were like warfare in the church. In 1988, uh, a guy wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. And I had people all around me saying, well, he's going to come back. Let's, let's be ready. Let's go hide in the hills or something. Uh, I remember in, uh, in, 19, uh, in 2011, a wonderful uh, ministry called Family Radio. Uh, the head of that thing uh, predicted the end of the world on May 21st, 2011. Uh, Y2K, you know, when we're going to go into the, the new decade, new century, and everything's going to blow up because the computers are not going to know how to, to change the time on a thing. And I've seen so many of that things just upset things. And they've been battles for me because I had people around me saying, we need to do what this guy's saying or go over there. I'm telling you, he says in verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. I will be confident. If you're in a situation right now that you find yourself fearful and full of anxiety and so on, I want to recommend a, a cross-reference. And I don't have time to give you the whole psalm. But if you go to uh, Psalm 56, he uh, says the same things in Psalm 56 as he says here. He says these two things. He says, my heart will not fear. And he says, I will be confident, which is the Hebrew word, batach, 
which means I will trust. That word uh, confident or trust occurs 120 times in all the Old Testament, but 103 times it is the word trust. It is all about trusting our God, his character, his person, his ability, his love, his attentiveness to us. In Psalm 56 is written when David's actually been captured by the Philistines, a, an enemy group. He's in some kind of custody. But he says in Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, I will put my batach, my trust in thee. Verse 4, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then Psalm 56, 11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know, my fleshly side would say, man could do a lot to me. He could do a lot to mess up my life. But David, no, he says, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in thee. Trust is, is a thing to cultivate. And that's the great thing about moving along in God and having all these different experiences in God because you just become more confident and trusting. I don't understand how I'm gonna get through this. I, I don't understand what's gonna happen when unemployment runs out or whatever it might be. But you know, Proverbs 28, 26 is a verse that uh, I kinda like. It says these words, he who trusts in himself is a fool. He who trusts in himself is a fool. You can't work your way out of every situation. Yeah, you've got to be diligent and you've got to do your best in life. But you can trust our God. And we learn this from a guy that says, though an army encamp around me, I will not be afraid. And one reason, if we go to verse 4, that these truths are so real to David is if you summarize this verse, it really says, verse 4, all I care about is God. The thing I care about most is God. That is so obvious of David because he says in verse 4, after he's talking about the warfare and all these things, he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do two things, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He says, one thing I would love to have happen. I would love to be in that Jerusalem tabernacle, that place where God dwells. I'd love to live there forever. I'd like to just be in the presence of God, which changes everything. When I have a desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that just changes the trajectory and the, the chemistry of my life. And notice he says two things. He says, number one, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The Hebrew word there for beauty can be translated delightfulness. I want to spend my time gazing on the delightfulness of the Lord. And the, the more time you spend with God, the easier it gets to gaze. The easier it gets to, to meditate and to think and to see and uh, more about that as we go. But to, 
to really see and gaze on the Lord. He's so beautiful. He's so kind. He's so good. But the other thing he says is, I'm going to meditate or inquire in his temple. See, see, prayer is so wonderful. Presence of God is so practical. We enjoy the presence of God because it's the presence of God. But we can also inquire. We can also ask questions. How is this going to happen, Lord? How am I going to make that car payment? Uh, should I buy a house or should I rent? All the, the millions of different things. And it's in the presence of God that we can inquire. And I've learned a little secret about this. When I'm considering a decision, large or small, and after I've spent that wonderful time gazing on the Lord and thinking about how delightful he is, then I can inquire. And I've learned to ask that direct question. You know, should I do this? Should I do that? But for me, it does not work right then to just kind of put my ear toward heaven because I just never hear anything then. For me, it just doesn't work. But see, what I've done is I say in my heart, I've made my request. God doesn't have a hearing aid. He knows exactly what's happening. And so I calmly walk away into my day knowing that the guidance will come to me in some further moment through a conversation, through a spouse, through a, a message, through a podcast. And how many times that has happened to, to me and to people that I've known. Times when I'm raising a child and I really need a particular word of wisdom on how to deal uh, be more strict, be less strict, and I ask God about it, and then that answer will come to me through a book I read or through something my wife will say. It's, it's so good to gaze upon the beauty and the delightfulness of the Lord, and then to practically to inquire and ask questions, and it's okay to do that. Some questions I've had and of the Lord, uh, he's, he's never answered, but I just came to that point where I was okay with that, and I go on and I do my very best. But I, I had a friend once who's, who was a Baptist. He was a very strict kind of a Baptist guy. But he came into the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And in Kansas City, his church just exploded. And, and there were actually situations where the church was so crowded that they would open the windows and people would stand outside and look in. This was the uh, early 70s. And, uh, and then a controversy erupted in the church. And uh, you know, the devil would always love to stir up, especially in a church that's in revival and it's really doing well, uh, controversy and you know, make majors out of minors and all of that. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, Lord, what do I do about this division? Do I address it? Do I, am I gonna be strict about it or lenient about it? What, what am I gonna do? And this might sound uh, crazy to you, but uh, he, he asked questions, he went to a seminary professor, and no one had the answers, and he didn't know what to do, and he's walking across the, uh, the seminary fields, thinking, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says to them th these words. And this was the man who had lived with God through the written word. And so when he received specific uh, messages from the Holy Spirit, they were right on the money. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, my son, in the church, someone will always be angry at you for something. So always do what's right, and then they'll be angry at you for the right reason. 
What beautiful wisdom. And that's what he did. He just took the first of many stands on the Bible to just do what's right, fear no opinion, and uh, his church just flourished. But verse 5, more about this man that is saying, uh, the Lord is my salvation. He is my light. He is my stronghold. He says in 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and then later lift me high upon a rock. You know, sometimes the way the Lord helps you is he simply hides you in the day of trouble. We all have days of trouble. Our nation has days of trouble, our state and, and our communities. And we have days of trouble. But he says, I've learned of God. He can hide me in the day of trouble and conceal me under the cover of his tent. You know, I have these fellow elders that I work with in this church, Calvary Monterey, three other men, Nate and two other men. And you know, when this COVID thing came about, my first instinct is to ignore it and to hug and to kiss and smooch and love babies and you do all these kinds of things uh, because I'm just not afraid of plagues and such. But I heard the voice of God through my other elders who said, Jeff, you are 65 and you have an underlying condition, a medical condition. We want you to be careful and stay home. Now, this might sound weird to you, but those words to me, I knew were coming from the Lord. And I, it's given me the patience, however many weeks we are into this now, to stay home and to be blessed. And it, notice it says here, hide, conceal, and then he'll lift me high up on a rock. Now, in a battlefield, if you could get up onto a rock, you had an automatic advantage and things could go well for you. And you know, in this difficult time, Denise and I, our, our, our wings are clipped, you know, we're staying home, but we feel lifted up. We feel encouraged. We feel like our feet are on a rock. And the amazing thing about the Lord is, even in a day of trouble, if you fall in love with God and you gaze and inquire and you walk with him and he's your stronghold, all these things, every season you go through works for you. It's amazing, even difficult situations. God turns every season for your good, even the day of trouble. Having a particular church problem in the past and going through a two-year difficulty in this church, what it taught me as far as endurance and empathy and Romans 5 through through 5, getting through trials, uh, I, I, I'm just amazed that the day of trouble can wind up lifting me high up on a rock because of my God. And in verse 6, he says, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. He pictures a situation in battle, and he was in so many, where he's victorious. His head is lifted up above his enemies all around him. Maybe he's at the end of the battle and he's overcome, or he's on that rock that he's been speaking of, I don't know. 
But then here's what he says next. Now picture, he's been in the heat of battle, you know, he talks in one of his uh, songs about a, having a battle accent. I mean, really gnarly stuff. But then he says this, and I will, when I'm done with this, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to God. He goes from warfare to worship because his heart was so detuned to God. That's what I want to be like. I want to come out of, the, of a battle and offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I believe that man could shout. And I believe he knew joy. Singing and making melody to the Lord. We know he could do that. You know, I had a funny experience about a month ago in the lockdown here. And I was outside one day and I was just kind of singing and worshiping a bit. And then I heard a voice coming down Prescott Avenue where I live. And uh, I couldn't see uh, past this shed I was standing behind, but I heard this voice singing praise songs, worship songs. And it was so interesting. And that voice was getting louder and louder and louder. And I thought, I wonder who this is. Whoever this Christian is, I'm going to stop them and I'm going to talk to them about how they get their joy. And so just then, this person walks right past this lid of this tool shed, and I see it's one of the, I, I won't name her, but one of the greeters from our church. And she has her headphones in, she has her worship going, and you know how it is when you have headphones in and you sing along and you sing like too loud? She is singing like crazy. And the neighborhood couldn't help but hear this worship song. And I, I waved to her and stopped her and I said, you are having a grand time, aren't you? And she said, oh, people, oh, oh, you heard me. And she, she wasn't thinking that she was, she was just singing to the neighborhood because she was singing, singing to God. She was shut in with God. And I said, go about your way, go, go ahead. And uh, she walks down Prescott. She's kind of embarrassed because I heard her singing so loud. She puts the earbuds back in turns it back on and she starts singing again so loud. And I thought, man, this woman is offering sacrifices with shouts of joy. And she has victory in this situation that she's in. I was so impressed with her. Now verses seven through 10 have a common theme also, and that is prayer. I have a saying about prayer. In all the Christian work and Christian life, when it comes to prayer, so much more is said about prayer than prayer is actually done. We talk about prayer, we theologize about prayer, but when you're around a person who really is a person of prayer, they are a totally different kind of person. There's a, a depth, a serenity. It's like there's ballast in the bottom of their boat and they are so solid. Let me read these four verses and they, again, the theme is prayer. And he's crying out to God in verse seven. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. He's, he's calling out to God. Uh, years ago, there was a, a, a man named Bill Gothard who did the Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. I think he was an evangelical Baptist background. But, you know, he was reading a verse like this and he came across the concept of crying out to God. 
how important it is that you get alone when there are difficulties and concerns and situations and you cry out to God, however that looks with you. And he's crying out to God. He says, I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. I need you. And in verse eight, as he is asking God to speak to him, he acknowledges that God is speaking back because he says these, this, these words, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, thy face, O Lord, do I seek. Seeking the face of God. I think that's one of the things I miss most about being at church is seeing people's faces. They're, you're not quite the same on Zoom. When you're with someone face to face, all the nuances of their personality and are their eyes bright and uh, are there smile marks around their mouth and so on. See, when we seek God, we're seeking his face. We're seeking to understand him and his thoughts and, and how he feels and what he does. And God is always saying to everyone, seek my face. It's fascinating that that word in Hebrew, seek, is in the plural tense. You have said to everyone, to, to, a, to a plurality, not just me, but everyone, seek my face. God is saying that to every person, seek me. But he says, my heart says to you, I'll take you up on that. Your face, O oh Lord, do I seek. That's so important for you now in the situation that you're in, is to seek God. Put your mask on, go around and exercise around your block and seek the face of God. God, what would you have me do? Lord, what would this day look like if it were perfect in your sight? Lord, help me to know you. Help me to know your ways. God is saying that to everyone, but it's your heart that God wants. My heart says to you, your face do I seek. Now he sounds so confident in verse eight, but look at verse nine. He says, look at these four things. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast not your servant away, forsake me not. Like he's, he's really concerned about God taking him on, God loving him, God taking care of him. Because he says, hide not, turn not, cast not, forsake not. That's interesting. And I like that part where he says, turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my Man, I've been helped by so many wonderful saints through the, through the years, but God has been the greatest help I've ever had. How so many times I haven't known what to do, I haven't known where to go, haven't felt up to a challenge. And sometimes I have a little bit of this feeling, Lord, are you, are you letting go of me? Lord, are you still there? I don't always feel your presence. Hide not, turn not, cast not, forsake not. And then he says, because you're the God of my salvation. <laughs> I remember that. You're my intervention. You're my rescue. You're the one that's going to take care of things. Turn not, cast not, 
forsake not, hide not. And he, he gives an interesting illustration in verse 10. There's no historical uh, evidence of this that I know of. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but he says, for father and mother have forsaken me. Father and mother have forsaken me. You know, there comes time in everyone's life where people cannot help you, even your parents. And if like me, you've lost both of your parents, you've had that situation where, and the only way I can describe it is now that both my parents are gone, and this has been uh, 13 years ago, but there's no one above me in the family that I can look to. Uh, there's no one above me that I can seek help from because father and mother are not there. Maybe your father and mother were never there for you. But the point is, the Lord will take me in. The New American Standard says, the Lord will take me up. He will put his arms under me. And I have experienced this so many times. There is a God-ordained limit to what parents and others can do for you. But you never know how much God means to you until God is the only one that you have. You get in those situations where there's just no other way out. That's when you find, even if father and mother did forsake me, the Lord is there to take me up. And he prays then in verse 11, a prayer that has just struck me and stuck with me the last couple of weeks in our, I call it the lockdown. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. And look at this, and lead me on a level path for your name's sake. Teach me your way, O Lord, but because of these enemies all around me, lead me on a level path. Uneven ground in warfare is a dangerous thing. And I know David would, would look at a battlefield and he would, he would look, how can I get the advantage here? How can I get the higher ground? Because if your enemy gets above you, he has an automatic advantage. And he's speaking here and saying, Lord, because of all the enemies around me, there's got to be a level way through this. There's got to be a way where I can be balanced and solid and consistent. Lord, where is the level path? That is something that, well, let me put it this way. The warfare that you and I have is in the mind. The, the warfare we deal with is in the mind and up and down is not going to do it during this crisis. But the Lord has a prayer that you can pray. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my enemies. Show me the balanced way to go through this, especially if kids are looking to me or uh, parents are looking to me or whomever the level path. And I, for one, think that's the way to walk through a battle is God can show you the balanced way to approach this, the way to structure your life until you're released. Lord, give me a level path. And here's a great verse. If you're a person that's kind of going up and down, here's a level path verse. I love this. It's like a Bible pill I'm going to give you to take. It's Proverbs 17, I love this verse. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever restrains his words has understanding and he who has a cool spirit 
is a man of understanding. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit, a cool spirit, that's fascinating, is a man of understanding. You see, when the Lord gives you knowledge and you get understanding of a situation, you can be cool. You can be calm. You can say, okay, I, I see what's coming ahead in the economy, and I feel like I understand what's going to be happening in the future as far as healthcare and so on. But I can have knowledge and restrain my words instead of just, just talk, motor mouthing and talking and being afraid and polluting the air with all kinds of fearful predictions. But I can also, as the Lord gives me understanding how everything fits together in the situation, I can have what the Bible only calls a cool spirit. I think that's wonderful. Well, starting to wind down, verse 12, he again is, uh, is praying. He says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. False witnesses, lying voices. David had plenty of those. He had people that would start wars because they would accuse him of this or that. And he's looking to God, not to the enemies, and he says, don't give me up to these adversaries. These are false witnesses that have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Making an application now for my life, David is talking about literal war, literal battle, literal enemies, and all these false witnesses. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I've had false witnesses in my mind and heart. I, in my past, uh, I had this feeling when I would look at all the good things that would happen to other people, uh, I would think, yeah, but this can never happen for you. This will not happen for you. False witnesses and lying voices when I was a young man. And I got saved at 16 and I was in ministry at 18. And that period of time in between, I needed to grow so badly. I needed to learn to live a stable life because if, if I, as I sensed the Lord taking me into ministry, I thought, I'm going to have to be sane. I'm going to have to be a person that's consistent and, and that people can look at and model their life after. And I'm 17, 18 years old. And I thought, how am I ever going to live a stable life? I'm so young and I'm so crazy. And uh, someone began talking to me about the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into me. Sometimes, in a, at a later time, such as in Acts 2, a person senses, I need to be endued with power from on high. Pastor Chuck talks about this in his book, Living Water, so beautifully. And I remember thinking, I need the power of God in my life for service because I feel the Lord taking me toward ministry and toward pastoring. And one night in a prayer group, I lifted my hands to God and I said, not because anybody else had talked me into it, but I'd read in the scripture and seen it. And I asked you, God, baptize me in your spirit. Fill me with the spirit. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to roll on the ground or do anything crazy, but I want to have all the power that you are willing to give me. And I don't go by emotions or feelings, but I can simply tell you this warm presence came down over my, my body. 
And I knew the presence of Jesus and the power of God. And from that day, so many times, it's been the power of the Holy Spirit in me by invitation. And I'll end with talking about how to do that in your own life that has made the difference in my life. This is kind of crazy, but I remember in the, in the 1980s, all my friends were going to minister for God internationally. Now, I'd been to Israel once, and I was due to go to Israel again to, to kind of lead tours and to be there with others. But I wanted to minister like my friends were uh, in Europe or Asia or wherever. Now, the, the Eastern Bloc countries were still closed, but I was asked right out of the blue one day by a, a guy, I would like you to sneak into Budapest, Hungary. Now, that was one of the easier East Bloc churches. It's, it wasn't like Romania or Czechoslovakia were. But still, uh, you're not supposed to do that. And I thought, this is my chance. This, this door is open for me. And so my wife and I are coming back from Israel. We stop in Paris. Um, Denise fly, flies home. And I get on the Hungarian Airlines, Malev Airlines. And all these communists with, with their black overcoats and, and hats and stuff like that are, are dutifully filing onto the plane. And I thought, here am I, the secret missionary who doesn't really know what's going on. I, I had to memorize the address of where I was going. I actually had to go sit on a certain bench outside the hotel I was staying, the Hotel Gellert, and figure out who these contacts were and go to the secret meetings and be the teacher. I mean, it was, it was what I'd wanted and I was scared out of my mind. Well, it was amazing how when the people walked up, I had a connection in the spirit. I knew who they were and I met these people. And for the next three days, I was in the underground church, 200 people crammed into a hollowed out house. They were si actually sitting on two by fours, not comfortable and on paint cans. And we had four hour meetings. It was incredible. But I thought, I'll never ever minister internationally. I won't get that chance. Just like I thought I could never live a stable life. And I have been able to. And the other thing I would say is I've always wanted to see more miracles. I'm the kind of guy that reads the book of Acts. And I think, why, why don't we see those things today? And, you know, for me, I love to pray for people for healing. My father was a believer in that. He was a pastor and, and would pray for the sick. And I was thinking even the other day, though I am so thankful for the times that uh, I've prayed for people and they've come back and saying, hey, uh, the scan before and after, the doctor doesn't know what happened. You know, the tumor disappeared. I've seen that plenty of times. But I'm the kind that because I don't like to see people suffer, I want to see miracles. And you know, the other day, the Lord knocked on my heart when I was just thinking those things. And of course, the Lord knows all the things that we're thinking. And across my mind, I thought, but what I have seen God do through me and with me to sexually abuse people back when I was in Fort Lauderdale, the miracles I've seen in the counseling room, the miracles I've seen in young men's lives in mentoring and hanging out with them, the miracles I've seen in the changed lives of people when I just love them and pastor them. And you know, will I ever see healing miracles? Actually, I see them all the time. 
And I want to encourage you. Verse 13 kind of helps to wrap it up. He says, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe as I traverse this life, I will see the goodness of the Lord, not just in heaven, but in the land of the living. Do you believe in the goodness of God? I do. I think God allows us trials and troubles because as a, as a heavenly father, he knows the difficulties and chastening we may need. But if, if you look at God, do not doubt his goodness. And David said, in the end, I believe I'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So he ends this way. Wait for the Lord. Man, I hate to wait. <laughs> I'm a pretty patient person. But, you know, if the Lord says, charge the hill, I'm up it. But if the Lord says, sit at the bottom, I don't like that. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're just chafing, chomping at the bit. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So between the two admonitions to wait, we see what happens when we wait properly. We become strong and our heart takes courage. In this time of waiting, that's what can happen to you. You can be that person that's never waited on God before, has always rushed out the door every day and never had that time with God. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's what the Lord has for you in this hour. Psalm 27, I read it several weeks ago and I just couldn't get past it. I just kept going back to it and back to it. And I'm, I just love it. It's sunk even deeper into my heart than all the previous times that I've read it. My heart goes out to you, as I know Pastor Nate and our elders' hearts go out to you for whatever difficulties you're in right now. Your kids are driving you crazy. You're not sure how you're gonna pay your mortgage. You don't know whether that job will even reappear. And we've all got all this going on. One thing that I'd like to do with you now is to pray for the filling and the baptism and the enduing of power for you in the Holy Spirit. I just believe the words of John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Thirst, hunger, drink. And it says, he who believes in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's interesting, when you study the Holy Spirit, somewhere around most mentions of the Holy Spirit, you'll see the word receive. That's a wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. He is so powerful yet so gentle, and he must be received. And I want you to take this moment with me as I pray, a prayer that I hope can be echoed in your heart, that you can receive that fresh endowment of power from on high. If you've tuned into this somehow and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, this will be a great day for you to say, Father, I know the Son of God, Jesus, lived the perfect life for me, died the death I deserve to die. 
and now you'll offer me forgiveness based on his perfect sacrificial life. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me and change me. Teach me how to walk with you. And if you prayed that prayer, find someone around you that knows the Lord. You're going to find someone that's going to be able to help you. If you email our church, you'll find out somebody on the other end is going to help you. Just go to calvary.com, go to the main page where it says get help, give help, and there will be someone there for you. But now I'd like to pray for that infilling of the Holy Spirit. And you just put yourself in the drinking mode. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I probably need this more than they do. I want to thank you so much for coming into my life, Spirit of God, at my conversion, and later on as I fully surrender to the power of the Spirit. And here we are again in need of the power of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you right now. And by faith, we humble our hearts and say, Lord, we can't go on our own strength. We cannot make it without you. Fill us now. Baptize us now in your Holy Spirit. We receive by faith a complete filling, as it were, of the glass of our life. And now an overflow that will bless others. Lord, thank you for giving us victory through the perfect Lord Jesus and the baptism and the power of your spirit. Change us now and help us, Lord, to know you are our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. Thank you for this time in study. Encourage our hearts, we pray. May we walk worthily before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.